0: This is Upstate's HealthLink air. Linda Cohen, along with you. Each year, nearly 20,000 people might benefit from, from a potentially life-saving bone marrow or umbilical cord blood transplant. And here to tell us more about this life-saving procedure is Dr. Matthew Elkins. He's the Director of Transfusion Medicine at Upstate Medical University and University Hospital, and he's also the Medical Director for the SUNY Upstate Cord Blood Center. Welcome, Dr. Elkins. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So let's begin by helping us understand what we mean when we say the words Bone marrow transplant. What exactly sure. is that?
1: Well, the first thing is to define what is bone marrow. Um, so all the cells that make up our our blood, so the red cells that carry oxygen that we need to live, the platelets that help us stop bleeding, um, and the white cells that keep us protected from infection, those are all made from um, stem cells that typically live in the bone marrow. So those are actually the progenitors. Without them we cannot, we won't survive. You need all those elements of the blood. So those are the, those are our bone marrow stem cells.
0: So why do we need a transplantation of those? In what circumstances might someone benefit from one of those? Let's mm-hmm. talk about that.
1: So a bone marrow transplant is typically where we're taking bone marrow that's um, going to work and putting it into somebody whose bone marrow isn't working. And there's two general um, categories we talk about that where someone is donating their own marrow cells for themselves, or autologous, and where we're taking bone marrow from one person and putting it into another. So just to take the autologous one for right now, um, that's where it's uh, typically a patient who um, has some sort of disease, typically a t- some of the types of leukemias or a blood cancer. Um, and we have medications that do a really good job of killing that cancer, but at the same time will end up killing their marrow so they won't survive which is not what the result we want right so what we found is that we can actually collect some of their stem cells ahead of time put them in a freezer so keep them safe then give the patient that chemotherapy that will kill off their leukemia then we can rescue them, rescue that patient with their stem cells that we kept in the freezer. So it's, we typically call that a rescue rather than a true transplant.
0: So in that case that you're using the person's own blood cells, but they had a disease. Yes. Is it possible that the cells that you have rescued prior to treatment might carry that disease back to the person?
1: It is possible and that's why there is a limited subset of which diseases this can be used for. Um, The classic example is multiple myeloma which is a disease of plasma cells that make antibodies. And those cells typically don't circulate so they stay in the bone marrow. Now we'll talk later about how you get those stem cells but if we take them from the circulating cells we typically won't get those plasma cells that are neoplastic, the the cancer cells.
0: So you avoid the potential for reinfecting, so to speak. Using that term is not really accurate, but reintroducing the disease back into that person.
1: And we typically talk about that as being a cure, although some people never have recurrence, but they will have disease-free time. Usually the average is between five and seven years from the time of the autologous transplant. Um, and then they might have their disease come back. That multiple myeloma comes back, but it comes back slowly. It's kind of starting from the ground zero at that point. So it's a it's a very good um, option for people who for whom it's appropriate.
0: So um so the other kind is where people are given from a donor right. their bone marrow stem cells and tell us when might that happen and why sure
1: and. That that we call allogeneic or one person to another, a true transplant, um, and that's often done for two large reasons. One would be any of those leukemias or lymphomas where we can't do an autologous, where no, we've tried They've tried this in the past. Auto transplants don't work because we will end up getting some of those cancerous cells, or it's um, where the person's bone marrow doesn't work. So. For example, um, sickle cell disease, most people know about that. That's an inborn error of their bone marrow cells that they, their hemoglobin they make doesn't work as well for them. And there's lots of complications with that. The only true cure for that is actually giving them new bone marrow to make cells that don't have that defect. Um, and that's one example. There are other diseases, the bubble boy. So severe combined immunodeficiency or SCID. That's where someone's immune system doesn't work. They're genetically unable to make mature white cells. So they don't have any protection from bacteria and viruses, fungus, all the stuff that's outside that wants to kill Tense us.
0: Hence have to live in a, buzz- in a bubble. Yes.
1: Um, and for those patients, the only true cure right now is getting somebody else's marrow that will make functional immune cells.
0: So that must be a complex process, though, to find a match, right. I would think, somewhat... Is it more complex or less than perhaps a kidney transplant, for example?
1: It's, it's very similar. And they, you actually have two issues with bone marrow transplant where if you're giving somebody a kidney, um, you have to worry about the immune system. So our immune system is designed to recognize things that aren't us. And it's presumed to be somebody invading, right? It's bacteria, it's, it's uh, parasites, so it will attack that. So if we put in somebody else's kidney, we have the risk of rejection. So the immune system of the recipient recognizing that kidney as foreign and killing it. Um, when we ha- we're doing a bone marrow transplant, we have all those risks. So the recipient's immune system may recognize that graft is foreign and kill that marrow. Now you have someone who doesn't have a marrow at all, which is not good. We also have the risk that when that marrow if that marrow doesn't get rejected and it gets incorporated and starts making all the blood cells we expect, red cells and platelets that's great. It will also be making white cells. But those white cells may recognize again that came from somebody else. They may recognize the person who got that transplant as foreign. So they'll
0: what... attack it. Yes. They'll attack they'll attack the host so to speak.
1: So those those new immune cells may recognize the 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 recipient, the patient. All their tissues as foreign and will actually attack it. And um, that used to be very fatal. We've gotten much better treatments for it. Still is fatal in about thirty percent, um, which is better than hundred. <laughs> but there's a lot of morbidity. So there's a lot of symptoms associated with that rejection, graft host
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with Dr. Matthew Elkins. We're talking about bone marrow transplants. So I guess the the key here to understand is that a bone marrow transplant is really a stem cell transplant. And those stem cells are blood stem cells that will then go on to produce the kinds of blood cells that we all need to live. And the choices as to what to use, whether you do it from your own material or you get it from a donor, have to do with the nature of your disease. That's correct. Do people who have Um, Other types of cancer need that kind of a stem cell transplant because the chemotherapy being so aggressive might kill off their bone marrow?
1: Absolutely. Um, For example, um, kids who have neuroblastoma, it's a a cancer in the brain, very aggressive, and will will kill the patient if we don't treat it very aggressively. The aggressive types of chemotherapy that are needed will actually kill that child's marrow so we will do the autologous that's where we take their own stem cells again take them separate out of the patient into a freezer so they're safe give them the chemotherapy and then we'll reinfuse once that chemotherapy is out of their system reinfuse those stem cells so they can repopulate their marrow and make all the stem the blood cells they need
0: so overall mm-hmm. and obviously it's a case by case and depends on the particular disease entity and what have you which of the two mm-hmm. getting it from yourself or getting it from someone else are preferable or mm-hmm. you know just a brief overview of what are the benefits versus the sure. potential disadvantages
1: so it's an easy decision if you can if your disease um, uh, is amenable to autologous so using your own that's always better because there are so many fewer risks long-term outcomes are so much better but if your disease, so for example, if you if we can't do an autologous, we have to use somebody else's, then we have to use somebody else's. If auto, we know, won't actually help you in your disease, there's no point in doing it.
0: How are these, I mean, what are the sources of these mm-hmm. cells? I mean, that's, I think, I understand they come from several sources, the main one being the bone marrow itself, but you talk about harvesting peripheral blood cells. So how does one do that? Sure,
1: so there there's three real ways to get these marrow stem cells for this bone marrow transplant we're talking about. Um, the old way of doing it, which is still done in about um, 10, 15 to 20% of cases nationwide, is to actually have the person anesthetized under general anesthetic and take a big needle and go into their marrow most commonly we use the the bones of the hip of the pelvis um, and take out some of that marrow and that's what we call a marrow harvest the other way of doing it um, which is the most common way nowadays 60 to 70 percent of bone marrow transplants is where we actually give drugs to patients um, That pushes, that makes their marrow make more stem cells. They hyperproduce. But also pushes them out into the periphery. Because you and I sitting here right now, we have stem cells in our body, but they're not circulating. So we can't get at them other than by taking a needle to your your marrow. But if we give these drugs and get the stem cells out into the circulation, we can actually use a machine called an apheresis machine. That's another one of my titles. I'm the director of our facility at Upstate. um, Where we can actually send their blood through this machine we take out the stem cells and return all their red cells all their platelets all their plasma all wow. the stuff they need it can
0: identify just the stem cells
1: it's we will get out the stem cells it's not as specific as we would like there's still research going on to make it even more specific but yes
0: and you can harvest sufficient numbers of mm-hmm. the peripheral blood of cells within the peripheral blood um in 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 order to do this kind of a transplant?
1: We actually get... Or does it
0: have to happen on multiple occasions, that kind of thing?
1: So typically with with our new medications and with our new machinery, we're typically doing a single-day collection for a lot of these transplants and getting sufficient... We actually get more than we got with the average for marrow. We get two to three times as much doing peripheralized as we did with the the old needle uh, method. And
0: the third method or the third um, source is umbilical cord blood Tell us right. briefly about that I don't want to run out of time I have a number of right. more questions for you.
1: So um, the, the third way of doing it is actually um, when new baby is delivered there is blood in the umbil- in the umbilical cord and the placenta those are typically thrown away as medical waste but in the in those um, cells there are actually stem cells just like the stem cells we have in our marrow. Um, and those can be harvested at the time of the placenta before it's thrown away. Um, and we we actually bank those and, and freeze them and store them. And then if there is need for them later, we can thaw those out and give them to a patient.
0: So hence the term umbilical cord blood bank. Yes. So basically, do these transplants, again, I don't want to run out of time, mm-hmm. are these transplants effective in solving the problems that we might face should we be <laughs> without bone marrow?
1: Oh yes, um, it, we're really talking about diseases that are fatal otherwise. Um, whether whether it is leukemias or inborn errors, these are this is a definitive way of helping the patient survive. Are they with? Are there downsides? Absolutely, just like there are with any other intervention. But, but they, they are life-saving. They
0: are life-saving. Very briefly, how can someone get involved if they wanted to donate? Just mm-hmm. very briefly.
1: So there are two ways. The first way is if you want to donate cord blood, once we have the bank open this year, um, at the time of delivery, we can take that, those, those cord bloods and um, those can be donated for use. The other way of getting involved is actually registering to be a donor um, so, in umbilical cord, we freeze ahead of time to see if there's a donor in the future. For adult stem cells, we there isn't a bank out there. Instead, um, there are different organizations, National Marrow Donor Program is the largest one in the US, that register people, and when they have a patient that matches that person, they will call on that person and have them donate stem cells at that time. Um, National Marrow Donor Program, you can sign up for it any time, and they have drives to try to identify people who, who would be candidates in the future for donations.
0: So the sources are there. Yes. And it's very hopeful in terms of actually really saving lives. I want to thank you so much for coming in and sharing this very interesting and hopeful information with us. My guest has been Dr. Matthew Elkins. He's Director of Transfusion Medicine at Upstate Medical University and University Hospital and the Medical Director for the SUNY Upstate Cord Blood Center. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink air.